You're listening to Early Learning Review Radio. I'm Patrick Governor, and I'm the news editor at APN Educational Media. Professor Steve Clark from Charles Sturt University's School of Humanities and Social Sciences is a philosopher specialising in issues related to conscientious objection. He recently co-authored a paper on the obligations of parents who object on religious, moral or philosophical reasons to vaccinating their children. I spoke with Clark about his research and I started by asking for an overview of his paper and its findings. It's a piece of philosophy and I co-authored it with Alberto Giubilini who now works at Oxford, and Mary Walker, who now works at Monash at the time, both of them were at Charles Sturt University. Um, now, we received a um, grant from the Australian Research Council, a discovery grant, to fund research on conscientious objection in healthcare, and one of the issues under that broad umbrella was looking at conscientious objection to vaccination. So this paper is vaccination and um, we're particularly interested in the idea of conscience and maybe trying to make sense of that and we worry that the practices that our society has in relation to conscientious objection are sort of vastly different in different contexts and when you start thinking about why that might be it doesn't make much sense so in this paper We've looked at the military analogy, we've looked at how conscientious objection is dealt with in the military context and asked if there are lessons to be learned for how you might build conscientious, conscientious objection to vaccination, and our answer is yes. So, so what are some of those lessons? Well, we think the main point that uh, is, and this is sort of taken as given with conscientious in the military context is that people who are genuine conscious, found to be genuine conscientious objectors are expected to make a contribution to society in lieu of the, um, what they would otherwise do, which they're objecting to. So if they're conscripted to uh, serve in the military for a period of time and they refuse to do it on conscientious grounds, then our expectation is that they would uh, serve in a non-combat capacity or perform some form of community service for that period of time. Has, is that um, his, sorry to interrupt. Is that historically what has happened during the major yes. conflicts? Yes, it has. Since uh, well, I mean, before the First World War, it was very controversial that anyone should be allowed to be a conscientious objector. After then, it became clear that uh, it was widely accepted that we should accept conscientious objections in the military, at least in Western countries. Uh, there are some countries we can't be conscientious objected to military service. You just do military service and that's it. The most Western countries, it's accepted that you can conscientiously object, but you have to make a commensurate contribution to the community. Um, now, we think that the same holds conscientious objection to vaccination. So um, people who decline vaccinations or decline to have their children vaccinated are imposing a risk.
community, they owe a commensurate duty to compensate the community for that risk. Uh, so similar to the, the military case. Now the um, compensation in question, it's uh, not easy to work out exactly what it should be because it's going to be different for different diseases. But a sort of a, a rough uh, solution to this problem, which we think is kind of good, is the Australian no gender pay policy, where um, a range of um, child care and family benefits are withheld from conscientious objectors to vaccination. Is there a difference between a conscientious objector and a person who chooses not to vaccinate their kids because they believe in the conspiracy theories regarding vaccination? Yes, now that's a really good point. Um, so we understand a conscientious objector um, to be someone who has a moral, religious or philosophical objection. Um, now, um, there might be other forms of objection to vaccination. In fact, we think a lot of people who object and think of themselves as conscientious objectors to vaccination are actually, vac- are actually objectors on evidential, not conscientious grounds. Um, and we think that the most practical solution to this is education, that um, most of the people who have these evidential objections um, suffer from having um, only listened to a narrow range of views or having got their information from anti-vaccination websites and so on. Um, and um, they're entering into a different sort of dispute. So they, they don't come under the heading conscientious objector at all. Unfortunately, the way these things are organised in Australia, um, they are considered to be conscientious objectors in effect, which we think they should not be. So what are some of the reasons that true conscientious objectors object conscientiously? Well, um, some of them um, have religious views. Um, so the religious view might be that we, not, we ought not to interfere in God's plan. So if God wants us to get diseases, then um, God knows best, so we shouldn't intervene. Um, some of them uh, have uh, sort of philosophical views and the philosophical views might be on sort of the libertarian line that um, uh, the government ought not to coerce anyone so um, now someone who has this view will not only be against um, you know, compulsory vaccination, they'll be against presumably compulsory taxation compulsory voting and so on um, and you might think that there are perhaps um, moral views as well that um, people would have their perhaps um, views about um, the uh, medical establishment and so forth. Those, those sort of views get more mixed up with the conspiracy theories you mentioned earlier, but there could be a sort of moral dimension to them as well. And so you think that uh, if people are exercising sincere views along those lines, that they should be allowed to uh, uh, be withdrawn from vaccination, but they should have to make a, a, a contribution in another way. Now, what are some other alternatives besides the financial uh, 
penalty? Because for some people that's not going to be an issue at all. For others, it's going to be too onerous an issue. Well, it depends how the financial penalties are set up. So, I mean, if you made it a proportion of income rather than a flat fee, for example, then uh, you presumably take care of the worry that uh, it won't be an issue for some people and it will be an issue for others. So that's certainly something you could explore. Um, other range of penalties, well, you could require them to um, perform some kind of community service, as we do with uh, conscientious objectors to the military, say, uh, helping out in a uh, medical clinic that uh, provides vaccination, for example. Um, that would seem to be a, a commensurate duty. All right, what other sort of, uh, outside of vaccinations, what other types of conscientious objections have you researched in your career? Okay, well, there's a sort of big debate about conscientiously objecting doctors that um, we've had a look at. So um, you've got cases, well, I mean, the best known one is doctors who don't want to perform abortions, so conscientious objectors. Um, but there are also uh, other controversial cases. You've got the chemists who, con- who conscientiously object to, say, um, providing contraceptives. Um, and then there are sort of more esoteric cases. So there was a case, I think, last year in America of a conscientious objector to registering a, uh, a gay, uh, I think, not a marriage, but a civil partnership. Um, so, and um, you have these cases in other countries where, um, uh, say, hotel owners don't want to um, admit gay couples on conscientious grounds. So, so they're all in a range of different cases. And, and what are your thoughts on those issues that you raised? Well, we, or at least I, I shouldn't speak for my co-authors here, because they uh, just tell the same views as we in regards to the vaccination case, don't think that conscientious objection trumps discrimination. So we don't think someone should be entitled, uh, say, a hotel owner should be entitled to discriminate against a gay couple. And again, it helps to think of analogies. If a doctor said, I don't want to, I don't want to operate on this patient because they're gay, we would think that's outrageous. Uh, that's a clear case of discrimination. So the cases with community willing to entertain are ones where a doctor uh, conscientiously objects to some controversial procedure such as abortion or if it were to be legalised euthanasia. Um, otherwise, we expect them to do their duty and we particularly don't expect um, them to discriminate um, for or against any particular patients. So, uh, nor should we um, countenance discrimination in um, the hospitality industry. Where do you stand on admittedly rare cases where a child that has, uh, you know, a fatal uh, disease, say cancer, their parents decide to withdraw the child from treatment? We, there was one uh, one case that made news last year in Western Australia. Do you think that uh, parents have the right to make those uh, decisions on behalf of their children, or should uh, it should it be impelled upon them to? undergo all types, all available treatments? 
Right, now this is uh, getting further astray from the main topic. Um, I mean, the, the cases I'm most familiar with are cases of Jehovah's Witness parents who don't want their children to receive blood transfusions. And in those cases, um, doctors have gone to courts to say, look, if we don't give blood transfusions to these children, they're going to die, so we should uh, override um, uh, parental rights in this case. Um, so I think by parity of reasoning, and I, again, I'm not familiar with the case, if the child's life is in danger, then the parents should not um, um, be entitled to withdraw the child from treatment. But, you know, I mean, the consequences may be less severe. I'm not familiar with the case if the consequences are less severe than um, 